Hi, friends. Welcome to Unyielding, a podcast for Pathways to Hope Network. Our goal for this podcast is to connect with mothers of children facing the juvenile court system. We want to use this platform to give a voice to the challenges you're facing while you're learning to navigate the sometimes scary and uncertain world we enter when our child has been charged with a crime. For the next 30 or so minutes, we hope that you will feel seen. We hope that you are reminded of your value and that you leave a little stronger than you arrived. Most importantly, though, we hope to honor the always beautiful, often heart-wrenching, unyielding love that a mother has for her child. Hey friends, did you know that studies show over-involved parenting is associated with anxiety, depression, life dissatisfaction, and emotional dysregulation? So today we're going to talk about what everyone who knows that they may be guilty of a little over-involved parenting wants to know. If we're not meant to fix it, then what should we do? If we're not meant to fix the problem or the behavior or the situation, then what are we meant to do? What are we supposed to do? So I'm going to give you three different things that you can focus on rather than fixing the problem. There are going to be certain situations that come up for which there will be a fix. It's having a child removed from a classroom and put somewhere different. It's maybe switching schools for your child. It is, it's getting your child into counseling if it seems like that's something that they would benefit from. So there are going to be certain things that you can fix. So this is not about you taking a hands-off approach and saying, all right, you're on your own. This is about trying to step away from the obsession with trying to fix everything and to use that time and attention instead to focus on three things that are going to help strengthen your actual relationship with your child. So the first focus rather than fixing is a focus on influence. You have an incredible amount of influence over your child. And I know that right now you think, no, 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 I don't, <laughs> not my child, because I tell them to do something and they do the complete opposite. So there's no influence here. But before your child was the pain in the backside teenager that they are right now, they were once a younger child and you have history with them, history from the moment that they became yours, the moment that you were chosen to be their mama you began history with them and you have history that's present and that counts for something, okay? It can feel a lot like once your teens hit teenage or early teenage years, like you've been fired as their manager. So <laughs> they no longer recognize you. It feels at least not as much anyway as a, a person of authority over them that can tell them what to do and that they will just be blindly obedient to it. So it feels a little bit like you've been fired as their manager and shocker, you have. You have been fired as their manager. They are to some extent going to live life by their own rules. And you can try really hard 
to do everything in terms of even like physically dragging their body to the car. You still can't make them go to school if they're not going to go to school. You can put them in a program like Youth at Risk and you can have them go to court hearings if they're being truant because it, obviously truancy is an issue in some states. And so you do want to be aware of what those laws are and inform yourself on it, but you cannot make them go to school. So you have been, in a sense, uh, fired as their manager. Teens over these next few years are going to want increasing independence and control. That's a normal part of becoming a teenager. Some of the behaviors that we see is not so normal. Some of the challenges that we face as moms is not so normal. But the increasing independence and control over their own lives is. And so one of the things that you can focus on using your influence is to look for ways to give that to your child. I have one mama who says to pick her battle, like she has learned to pick her battle, to give her son some freedom over certain aspects. And it's hard because there is a part of you that's like, am I enabling then if I'm doing that? Like, am I sending the message? Am I condoning it if I'm allowing him to do it? There is some interpretation that you're going to have to be doing on your own as to where you can give, but you can give in little ways. Look for ways to give that. You know, maybe it's not a huge deal if he's not showering every day. I mean, yes, it is. Obviously for us, we don't want to lose, we don't want to lose out on anything. So it's going to feel like, yes. It is a big deal because I have to smell him. But in the grand scheme of things, if you're looking for things to give up control over, finding those ways to, to let them have control over certain areas of their life. Now, there tends to be some confusion between the words influence and information. Information is not influence. So when I say you have influence over your child's life, that does not translate to I can give my child information and they will blindly go along with what I say because I have influence over them. Information is not influence, but sharing a piece of yourself is influence, okay? So that's the difference between telling them what they should do and why they should do it and telling about an experience that you had with whatever it is that they're going through or a story that you heard about with whatever it is that they're going through. But it works best, I feel like, if it's our own experiences. Let me give you an example. So today we had some snow on the ground this morning and my son was driving to school for first for the first time and the roads were a little icy and I did not want to let him drive because I was like it's too risky and his dad was like he needs to know and learn how to drive in the ice and the snow so he can drive himself to school so before he left I said, okay, I need you to sit down and I need to talk to you about a few things. And, <laughs> and he's like instantly ro rolling his eyes right at me. And I start to go over all of the four to five car lengths 
between you and the person in front of you, you know, make sure that if you're breaking, like this is what's going to happen in the ice and you got to make sure you're going slow and you don't want to, you don't want to hit your brakes when you're sliding. And you know, I'm going through all of the different things and I can see him like just glazed over, probably heard one thing I said. And then I was like, hold on, I'm going to start over. And he's like, oh, you know, <laughs> and I said, let me tell you about the first accident that I was in when I was about your age and I was driving on the ice and all of a sudden he started looking at me and he was engaged and he was listening and he was paying attention to what I was saying. And I was like, and that's how I got into two accidents that were my fault within 20 minutes of each other. And he was like, why was it your fault? And, you know, and I explained to him why it was my fault. He was like, oh, well, that's dumb. And then he left. But the point is, when I was telling the story about something that had happened to me, he was engaged. I was influencing him. When I was telling him all of the facts that I've learned and seen, you know, on the news, he was totally disengaged. And so my influence comes in in the story. So influence is not the same as information. I think the biggest kind of shift that happens in our teens' lives is that we switch from a manager position to an advisor. And it's not um, a downgrade. It's not a downgrade. It's actually an upgrade. So if you were to think about if you had a manager and you had an advisor, in your life. Like you've got a manager at work and you've got an advisor at work. Who's the person you're going to be more likely to talk to if you're struggling with something? Well, if it has to do specifically with your job and you need clarity around something, you're probably going to talk to your manager, right? So if our kids needed to know how to get their keys out of their locked car, which also happened to us this morning, by the way, they're going to come see who? the manager. He came to me and was like, mom, my keys are in my car. I don't know how. Okay. So we went through that process. But when I'm at work and I'm really struggling with something that is not necessarily work related, but it is in uh, something that's going on in my life, I go, I would go to the advisor for advice on that. And the advisor doesn't have an emotional attachment to the advice that they're giving me. They're just giving me wisdom and logic and reason. And so you're switching from a manager role to an advisor role. And it's not a downgrade. It's actually an upgrade. And one of the things that you do as an advisor is instead of giving directions like a manager does, you ask questions. So you're asking them questions and you're there to provide emotional support. I think the biggest difference between the role of a manager and the role of an advisor is that an advisor avoids power struggles and allows natural consequences. So if, if I wasn't doing my job, my manager would be writing me up. They would be trying to assert their authority over me because they are going to be personally held responsible, right? You not doing what you need to do means that they're somehow failing at what they need to do. That's kind of the general feeling for parenting 
overall. Like if our kids aren't meeting milestones, we feel like we're we're lacking somewhere. We're not doing something right. It starts as early as like, well, my child's going into, you know, kindergarten and he doesn't know his letters yet. Like I failed somehow. So so you're really switching out of that role and you're switching more into an advisor role. And an advisor isn't going to get in a power struggle with you. They're just going to say, yeah, I'm not really sure that's the best thing that you should do. Here's my concerns about that. What do you think about that? And in the end, if you're like, nah, I don't really care. I'm doing it anyway. Your advisor is going to be like, okay. And that's it. They're not going to be like, no, no, you're not. Do you see kind of the subtle differences between those two things? So focus on influence. The next thing is to focus on relationship. And this comes after influence because really while you are still in that manager role full time, it's really hard to focus on relationship because it is a contentious relationship by nature because they're doing things, you don't agree with those things, so there's conflict. So once you switch out of that kind of manager role into more of a influence role or more of a advisor role, then you can begin to kind of focus on the relationship. And one of the ways that this shows up is as an advisor, you work on being present in their discomfort and not taking it away. So being able as an advisor to be present in their discomfort whether that's a consequence they're facing, whether that's anger they're feeling, whatever whatever discomfort they may be experiencing, you're focusing on being present with it without taking it away. I think a great metaphor for this is if you imagine you're on the beach and it's a windy day and you've got a kite up in the sky and the wind is going all different directions and the kite is just going back and forth and to the right and it drops quickly and it picks back up again and it's just all over the place. And you are the person that's down on the ground holding the string. See, you don't want to be on the kite with your kid. You want to be the person down on the ground holding the string. And when we are in a pattern of just like stimulus response, or we get in that cycle of respond, 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 like I talked about in the last episode, we're on the kite. And then nobody's on the beach with the string. So you can imagine it's going to go to hell in a handbasket really quick. So you want to be the person that's on the ground holding the string. And in order to be able to do that, you need to be able to be present in their discomfort while not taking it away. Okay recognizing your role as an advisor and not taking it away. If all of your focus is on their behavior, what they're doing and what they're not doing, your relationship is going to suffer as a result of it. There's no way that it won't. So you have to be able to disengage to a certain extent and to be able to be present in the discomfort of what's going on without trying to feel a responsibility to take it away. And it feels counterintuitive, but that is actually something that's going to benefit your relationship with your child. 
And the reason relationship is so important right now is because truth without relationship leads to rejection. And rules without relationship leads to rebellion. And discipline without relationship leads to anger and resentment. So the best thing that you can focus on right now is your relationship with your child. And the more you're focused on behaviors, the less you're going to be able to focus on relationship. Does this make sense? So how do you let go of the behaviors? You have to remember, I'm not the manager anymore. This actually isn't my problem to deal with. I'm the advisor. So I'm here to give advice and I'm here to love and I'm here to support and I'm here to root them on and I'm here to pray for them and I'm here to care about them. But I'm not responsible for what takes place and the decisions that they are making. That's not my job anymore. So, so far, we've talked about instead of getting sucked into over-involved parenting to focus on influence and to focus on relationship. And the last thing I think I'm going to say about this is to stay consistent with discipline. Now, I know this sounds like I'm kind of backtracking and going against what I just said because discipline sounds like a manager's role, right? And we talked about how we're switching away from manager more into advisor, but that doesn't mean you allow havoc to be wreaked in your home because it's still your home. And so there still needs to be some rules that are put in place and discipline around those things. There is one mom that I spoke with years ago, and she was a foster mom that I had come across with in the courtroom. And man, I wish I had kept her information because we sat and had a conversation and she was so wise. She had so much knowledge just in her years of experience. She had taken on some of the most challenging foster kids in the state, the children who were really not placeable anywhere else. She described the children. She said, it's almost as if they're feral. They have never really experienced what it's like to be in a healthy home environment. They're wild. And she said that she recognized that it wasn't going to work to take the same parenting approach with these teenagers that she had taken with her own kids. She said that what she did was instead of focusing on the problems that were going on with her child, she poured herself into changing what she was doing. And here are a few of the changes that she said she made. The first thing she said was that when there was discipline that needed to be done, that she always made sure that it was an immediate consequence and that it was short term. So it was shorter than a day and that she always remained loving when she was giving the discipline. So I love you so much and I know that you're going to hate me for this and you're going to be upset with me and that's okay, but I need for you to know that this thing that you did was not okay 
So you're not going to get on the computer tonight or whatever that short-term consequence was. So it never lasted for longer than a day. She said she also focused on non-emotional parenting. She called it non-emotional parenting. And she said the whole kind of premise of that was that nobody gets to talk until they have de-escalated. She learned that like her actions were speaking to them. And so she began to examine like, well, what are the, what are my actions saying? You know, what are they saying? And so she would disengage until she felt regulated. And we talked about that in the last episode also. If you missed it, you can check that out. And the last thing she said was that she kept a reminder for herself to make sure that when she was showing up, she was always showing up mature, loving, and consistent. That that was her role. Her role that she needed to play was to be mature, loving, and consistent. And that through that, she would be modeling what that behavior should look like. So like I said, just great words of wisdom. I had written them down because I took notes when I talked to her, but I wish I had gotten her her information because she would have been a great guest to have on the show. The bottom line is if you wait for them to change to build your relationship, you're going to be waiting a long time and it may be too late. I'm going to say that again. If you wait for them to change before you build your relationship, you're going to be waiting a long time and it may be too late. So some of us have kids that are 14. Some of us have kids that are, you know, 17, 18. If you're waiting until they're out of this teen rebellion phase to begin working on the relationship, it's going to be a long time and it's going to be really hard to get that back. So focus on the things that we talked about today, all of those things. So rather than focusing on the behavior, the child, focus on the things that we talked about today. Focus on your influence, switching from a manager to an advisor. Focus on the relationship. Remember the kite in the air and you with the string and focus on being mature and loving and consistent and ask yourself, what's it going to take for me to stay off the kite? And remember, this is a day-by-day journey. This season is about the long game. It's not about the short game. Okay, so stay focused on what's directly in front of you. Don't worry about whatever's coming up down the road. You'll deal with those situations when you get to them and take it one day at a time. Okay, friends, well, that wraps it up for this week. Thanks so much for listening to Unyielding. I really hope that you found this information helpful and that it served you in some way today. If you did, could you show some love to this community of mamas by leaving a review and subscribing? You know how lonely this journey can be. And when you leave positive reviews and subscribe, it makes a big difference in helping other struggling moms out there find us. Oh, and don't forget to check out Pathways to Hope Network's website. The link will always be in the show notes below, where you can access an ever-growing library of resources like a list of local and national resources that may be helpful, a page entirely devoted to frequently asked questions, as well as our blogs that cover a variety of topics. When you visit the page, remember to subscribe so you're added to our monthly newsletter designed to encourage and educate you throughout this process and beyond. 
You can also find our social media pages on Facebook and Instagram. Posts designed to help keep you fighting. Remember, family is like life. It's a fight for territory, and once you stop fighting for what you want, what you don't want will automatically take over. Until next week, friends, remember we are stronger together.